All right, all right, all right. Grab your seats, if you will. Hey, for those of you who were here last week or got to listen to the podcast, wasn't Jordan Victoria Lewis absolutely brilliant? Can you give it up for this woman of God? Preaching the word. Yes. Um, last week I was here and starting a little bit of a, a summer vacation, kind of a staycation. And I was standing in the back of the room right as Jordan was preaching and my mom walked in and she whispered in my ear, she said, Grandma Wheezy's with Jesus. And so, I mean, 91, so it's hard to be shocked, but she was in perfect health, driving around, still engaged and just vibrant. She laid down last Friday afternoon to take a nap at her house and woke up with Jesus. And so thank God for Grandma Wheezy, married 66 years to Grandpa Dan, the people that I'm coming from. Uh, I love them so much. They're the Wilsons. I named my first son Wilson James Grothy after them. And so one of the things I'll miss is every Friday night she would watch online and she would get, right as worship was starting, she would say, Wheezy is here in all caps. And then on Sunday morning, she would go to her church and lead worship at the piano, and then she would come home for the 11 a.m. service. There was a, an hour time change, and she would get on the 11 a.m. live stream and say, Wheezy is here. And people through the years have gotten to know her, so they're like, hey, Wheezy, we're, we're reaching out from Florida, and we, we've heard stories about you. And so now Wheezy is with Jesus tonight, and we thank God for her life. Praise the Lord for a good woman of God. My parents were supposed to preach tonight, and I just couldn't put my mom through that. She's in Idaho this week taking care of business and closing up the estate and meeting with attorney. You, you know the drill. So mom and dad will get back on the calendar. Some of you were emailing me today going, get them rescheduled. Get them rescheduled. So we'll do that. But uh, full disclosure, uh, I'm a little raw tonight. I wasn't planning on preaching, and the Lord has given me a word. But as we come tonight... I, I am very aware that I need the help of the Holy Spirit. And all of us need the help of the Holy Spirit. So can we just open our hearts before we read this text? Uh, just begin to give the Lord your week. Lord, you know. You know. You know what we have in the tank. You know what we don't have in the tank. And scripture says that you are the God who is strong when we are weak. Paul says, I'll glorify, I'll glory in my weaknesses, for when I am weak, then he is strong. And so tonight we just say, you're going to have to get this done. We always depend on you. We say it again tonight, we depend on you. Let your word race through this place. Let your word wake us up. Let your word minister to us to the deepest places. Let your word breathe life and vitality and wholeness. Let your word save us tonight by the power of your spirit. So we say, Lord, we need you, we need you, we need you, we need you. Come, Holy Spirit, and have your way in this place tonight, we pray. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said. One verse tonight I'm going to preach out of 1 John chapter 5, if you have your Bibles. It's the very last word of this beautiful letter that we've been studying for eight or nine weeks. This is John, the old man, John who has lived his life and he was an eyewitness of Jesus. He was there. He saw it happen. He saw him alive. He saw him die. He saw him alive again. He saw him ascend to the right hand of the Father. He heard him say, go and make this. John was there. 
And John is now the old man and he's writing to the church in Ephesus and they're under duress and they're living in uh, a world of deep idolatry. And John looks to them and this is how he closes the letter in 1 John 5, 21. I'm gonna read it three times because it's just one short verse. He says, dear children, keep yourselves from idols. Dear children, do you hear the familial, fatherly, kind love? Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. This is the word of the Lord and all God's people said, thanks be to God. I'm a student of literature. I like to read. I like to pay attention And I love paying attention to the different devices that great writers use along the way. And there's nothing like an incredible opening line, right? Uh, Some of you will be able to finish this sentence, an opening line of a great world-changing novel. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times, right? There's something about an opening line that just throws you into this new imaginative space. Like we're, we're on the clock here. We've been transported into a new world. Another famous opening line in maybe one of the great American novels. Call me Ishmael. Herman Melville's Moby Dick. All of a sudden you're, who, what? Who's this guy and what's this story and where are you gonna take, call me Ishmael, period? Okay, another great opening line. You better not never tell nobody but God. It'd kill your mammy. Alice Walker's The Color Purple. You better not tell nobody but God. Wow, where are we going? uh, Ursula Le Guin said first sentences are doors to new worlds. But last sentences are powerful too and The last sentence can be a final provocation, a parting word, a please don't ever forget this, a jolt, a a shot across the bow, a a word that you're left to wrestle with. Last sentences are powerful too. And John's final line in this text that we've been studying for eight weeks, dear children, keep yourselves from idols, mic drop. He walks away. What a way to close. And I I wonder what John is doing here. And what is idolatry anyways? Isn't that some old, outdated, ancient, near Eastern, superstitious thing and idols? Oh, bless their hearts, those people back then. What, What is John doing when he says, keep yourselves from idols and then walk away? Historically, it's interesting and intriguing to look at what people have said about idolatry. The great Italian philosopher Giordano Bruno, I mean, if that's not an Italian, I don't know who is. Giordano Bruno. (laughs) In the 1500s, he distinguished what he called four kinds of idols, four types of idols, four categories. The first is the, the idols of the tribe, the family tribe, the geographic tribe, the political tribe, the economic tribe that you most closely identify with, the ethnic tribe, that, that there are idols of the tribe and we're all kind of born into tribes and we have to make sure that we don't fall into just this kind of cutthroat tribalism, but we are born into kind of groups of people and schools of thought and we have people teach us certain things. There's the idols of the tribe, the second category that Giordano Bruno distinguished when he's talking about idolatry are the idols of the cave. 
Now, the cave, this is the cave of our own heart, our own peculiar predispositions, our own unique and particular feelings as a human person, like the the idols of the cave that we kind of live in, our own little story, our own little psychological makeup, our own bents and predispositions. There's the idols of the tribe. There's the idols of the small interior cave that each of us inhabit in our own stories. There's the third group of idols, the idols of the marketplace. You've got Wall Street, you've got the Dow Jones, you've got the S&P 500, you've got the American dream, the idols of the marketplace that, that are being the stories from our business gurus and, and this is what it means to flourish and this is what the good life looks like and people in suits dressed up, standing up, telling us the, the, the true story of what success looks like. There are the idols of the marketplace and that shifts everywhere you are on the planet but all of us grow up in a sort of economic marketplace and we all hear stories of what the good life truly looks like. You've got the idols of the tribe, the idols of the cave, the idols of the marketplace and finally the fourth category is the idols of the theater. This is the 1500s. The theater was, it was the place and we can contemporize this today, the place where we tell our stories. It's the narratives of the celebrities. It's the Hollywood storylines, the theater. It, it's, the, it's the big publishing houses. It's the big news agencies, the ones who are, who are telling us their version of the story, the idols of the theater. And So you've got the tribe, the cave, the marketplace, and the theater. But first, when John says to us, dear children, keep yourselves from idols, I want to define terms. Let's, I want to put a few definitions tonight in front of you to just get us started, to build a groundwork together, a foundation to build from. From the Greek word eidolon, what's an idol? I'll say to you tonight, an idol is any image, object, person, or imagination that we form that fuels a false form of worship within us. Any, any image, an object, a person, or an imagination that we form that fuels a false form of worship within us. I'll, so we can say that idolatry is the act of shifting the worship that is exclusively meant for God over to something or someone else. It's shifting affection, something that was exclusively meant for God, the one who was and is and is to come, the one who said, let there be and there was, the one who dreamed you and me up in his heart before we were conceived in our mother's wombs and before the foundations of the world were in place. The God who was and is and is to come, he deserves our affection, our attention, our worship. He is the one, the only one that deserves our worship. Idolatry is the act of shifting that worship that is exclusively meant for him over to something or to someone else. I'll say it a little more simply. Idolatry is taking a finite thing and trying to invest it with infinite value. Finite thing. Something that is decaying, something that's going away, something that's on the clock called the clock of death that comes for all of us. <laughs> a finite thing and trying to invest it with infinite value, that's what idolatry is. And let's establish right here at the top tonight that the human creature is a worshiping creature. 
Do a little thought experiment with me tonight. If you were out in the lobby getting your kid checked in or you were out there getting coffee and all of a sudden LeBron James walked in, all of you would lose your mind. Some of you would wet your pants. Everyone gets their phone out and trying to play cool. Some of you are not trying to play cool. You're going up to him. He's coming to worship the Lord. You want his autograph, you know? Can I get on the private jet with you tonight? Where are you going? We going back to LA? We going to Cabo? What are we doing, Bronny? You know? So, like, if Taylor Swift walked in this place tonight, some, oh my God, pick her up, ushers, you know, she's been slain in the spirit. Why, why is that? It's because we were made to adore something. We were made to worship someone. We were made in the image of God and we were made to our heart to connect with him and our affections to be directed to him. And, and what happens is when, when we misplace that, we start doing goofy things. The human creature is a worshiping creature. We were made to stand in awe. But idolatry is simply adoring the wrong thing. Moses knows this good and well and in Exodus 20, you, you read the story of him going up Mount Sinai. God calls him up to the top of the mountain and there's the clouds and the thunder and the lightning and the thick smoke and there's the glory of God. And he says, you know, don't even touch the mountain because his glory is everywhere. So Moses goes up into that cloud and God chisels out the words. I don't even know what that scene looked like, but these are the 10 words, the 10 commandments, God's opinion on the matter. This is what the good life looks like. And Moses writes these words down, and it's interesting to think through what the first commandment is, Exodus 20, verses 3 through 6. You shall have no other gods before me. This is God speaking. First thing he says, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. The first word that God wants us to carry in our spirits about the good life and about what would, if we miss it, we would be led to death and destruction. We'd be led to, to, to the way of foolishness. He says, don't bow down to anything else. You shall have no other gods before me. And then you keep turning the page and Moses goes back up because the people are rebellious and they're fighting and they're bickering and there's just this big kind of scene going on. Moses goes back up and he comes down after, after 40 days and 40 nights, these people start getting antsy. Man of God is up there and they can't see anything. They can't touch the mountain. They have no idea what's going on. And the clock is ticking. It's 40 days. It's 40 nights. And they're getting stressed. And they're worrying about things. And they start taking the story into their own hands. And what do they build? The golden calf. Moses is up there doing business with God, getting things straight, getting the, the word of God that he's going to bring to the people. And these people are just getting antsy. And they start taking the story into their own hands. In Exodus 32, the, there's, we think about the golden calf. Oh, that's strange, and what in the world's going on there? But bull worship, I want you to know, in, in the ancient Near Eastern word, world, bull worship was common. Why? Because a strong bull finds a good heifer, and what do they make? A calf. 
A strong bull is the sign of virility and fruitfulness and life and strength and and food, sustenance. If we have strong bulls and, and, and heifers and they make calves, the people are going to eat. And then we'll be able to go to the market and we'll be able to sell stuff for people to eat. And then we'll have money in our pockets and our businesses will grow and our lives will flourish. And so we just think that's some ancient Near Eastern superstitious thing. No, this is their economy. And so what do they do? Moses is gone. God's taking his time. I think maybe he's dead up there. We can't really depend on our leader anymore. And so they go to his brother and they go, hey, and they give him their gold earrings. And let me read you the story in Exodus 32. It says, when the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't even know what has happened to him. You see how quick they are to cut bait? The guy who laid his life on the line to go get them and to speak to Pharaoh, let my people go, and the 10 plagues and all the drama and all the death, and they go to the Red Sea and we're dead and then we're not dead. And they go through and then 40, like, ah, Moses, uh, hey, Aaron, make us some gods for us to go before us. You see the human instinct? We are worshiping creatures. Aaron answered them, okay, Take off the gold earrings that your wives and your sons and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron and he took what they handed him and he made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. This wasn't accidental. This took a lot of work. They had a cast and they melted down the gold and they put it in and they hammered it out and chiseled it out and made it beautiful. You see all the work that went into it. And then they said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. I mean, talk about collective amnesia. (laughs) Hours ago, these are earrings, jewelry. Throw it in the fire, melt it down. (laughs) These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. And they just go, yeah, you're right. Screw Moses. And when Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of, like, we're doubling down. We're making furniture to build an altar in the place of God, right before this golden calf. And announced, tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. So an altar in front of the calf, oh, sorry. So the next day, the people rose early, and they sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterward, they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry, they ate too much, they got drunk, and they started sleeping around at this party. This is, this is what he's saying here. Moses goes up to get the words from God. He's gone for a little bit, they get antsy. They go back into their muscle memory of the people around them. Well, what's gonna give us life? The strong bull. What's gonna give us productivity and fruitfulness? The strong bull. What's gonna be our leader? Give us your earrings, melt it down. These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt, and then they eat, and they get drunk, and they start sleeping around as a way of consummating their covenant with a false god. Forgetting the Red Sea, 
forgetting the, 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 the Nile turning to blood, forgetting the frogs, forgetting God's provision, forgetting the manna in the wilderness and the water coming out from the rock. They melt down their precious treasures and they make for themselves that we are worshiping creatures. We think they're some sad, backwards, primitive people, but they're quite a bit like us. We talk about the bull market. Seriously, like, think about this. I'm not making this up. The bull in the ancient Near East was the sign of strength and life and power and charging forward. And now we've got the bull market. Let me show you the first, let me show you the statue outside of the New York Stock Exchange right there on the middle of Wall Street. I'm not making this junk up. Let me show you this Shenzhen Stock Exchange in China, one of the greatest markets in the world. This is, not only do they have the bulls, but they've got the little bears that they've just killed. You see the bears down around? Those are little bears that the bulls have killed because we've, we've got a bull market, not a bear market. Who, who do we trust in? I want to suggest that the age in which we live may be the vilest idol factory that the world has ever seen. Look, I've got money in the market. My financial guy's sitting back here. I love the guy. Trust Do well. Good job. I pray blessing over you. May your tribe increase. Right? I'm not, I'm not saying, I'm just saying, where's your trust? Who's your God? Are you getting impatient with the ticking clock? Are you getting impatient with the God that you can't see? Are you getting impatient with how long it's taking for God to show up? And, 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 and are you now deploying your own resources to make your own God so that you can feel safe and secure and strong? We are living in maybe the greatest and vilest idol factory that the world has ever seen. And there's different idols for different regions. Idols are local they're contextual. There's, in Boston, they ask, how much does he know? Think about the different idols. Let me just walk you through a few regions. I just kind of scratched this out on paper today. Uh, how much does he know? In New York City, they ask, how much does she make? In Philly, they ask, what family does he come from? In Seattle, they ask, what world-changing innovation has he come up with? In Los Angeles, they ask, how beautiful is she and what are her measurements? In Las Vegas, they ask, how many people came to his show? In Texas, they ask, how much land does she have? In Colorado, they ask, how independent is he? I, I think there's kind of this spirit of independence out here. We settle the rugged mountains. Do you know who we are? We're in the high desert. We're figuring it out. People can't grow anything here. I've got a green yard. Give me some love. How like the spirit of independence. And the, the sign of success in the first world west, in our moment in time, the sign of success is you get to a place where you think you don't need anybody else. We're living in an idol factory. And I'll just say this about idolatry. When you take a good thing and try to make it an ultimate thing, it becomes a dangerous thing. Good things, good things. You know, one of the great prayers that people in the church have prayed through the centuries is that God hates nothing that he has made. 
Like, I'm not saying you have to hate creation and all this physical stuff, the matter, the material world, it's bad, it's evil. No, that's, that, I'm not at all saying that. What I'm saying is when you take a good thing and you try to make it an ultimate thing, then it becomes a dangerous thing. Sex. A gift to, to, from God to a husband and wife who have covenanted to each other till death do us part. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to wash your feet. I'm going to put you in, whoever goes first, I'm going to put you in the ground, hopefully when you're 91 years old, and I'm going to love you all the way along the way. God gives those people the gift of sex, and, and, and sometimes babies happen, and that's great too, and keep the story going. But, but sex is a good thing. When you try to take a good thing and make it an ultimate thing, it becomes a dangerous thing. Money. Praise the Lord. It's a gift. I hope all of you have some. I hope all of you continue to have some. I pray that God blesses the work of your hand and that you're fruitful and you multiply and God gives you the chance to hire more people and to give to the nations. Money is not a bad thing when you take a good thing and try to make it an ultimate thing. It becomes a dangerous thing. All of these things are good until we shift our worship in their direction and away from Yahweh and those things that were once good now become the death of us. Do you see the trajectory that idolatry will take you on? Taking a good thing that God wants to bless you with, that God wants you to enjoy and then you invest all of your hopes in that thing, try to make make a, a finite thing infinite and then you become half a human being. So God says through Moses, you shall have no other gods before me. And John says to us tonight in this text, dear children, keep yourselves from idols. John Calvin says there's a reason that this commandment comes first. You shall have no other God before me. I'll say it this way. If you obey the first commandment, you will not break the rest of the commandments. If you get this one right, you shall have no other gods before me. You won't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. You won't break the Sabbath. You won't dishonor your father and mother. You won't steal. You won't kill. You won't fornicate and commit adultery. And you won't covet. If you worship the Lord your God and serve him only and you don't make graven images and carved idols and serve them and give them your affection, if you get the first one right, two through ten work. But if you don't get the first one right, breaking any of the rest of them is inevitable. You know where this story's going. Don't be surprised if and when. If you get the first one right, the rest of them are taken care of. If you don't get the first one right, you will stumble into any and all of the rest of them. You shall have no other gods before me. So the question I wanna ask is how do we stay free of idolatry? How do we stay free of idolatry? I'll give you the first answer. And here it is, regularly unsettle anyone or anything that could get comfortable sitting on the throne of your heart. Regularly unsettle anyone or anything that could get comfortable sitting on the throne of your heart. How do you unsettle? How do you do this? 
you go right at the heart of the idolatrous temptation with a countervailing practice. Some of you are like, what is countervailing? You stupid, shut up, Grothy. It'll make no sense. You go right at the heart of the idolatrous temptation with a countervailing practice. Let me put this in front of you, give you some examples of what this looks like. A practice of equal and opposite force to take up a practice that goes against the grain of that idolatry that's trying to settle into your heart. A temptation to idolize personal freedom. Thank God for freedom. Right? Thank God for options. Thank God for, for, for a great uh, governmental document that we get to live. I'm grateful to live in the United States of America. I, I take it every day and twice on Sunday. Right? Thank God for personal freedom. But we can, we can take something that's good and try to make it ultimate, and then it becomes dangerous. So what do you do? If you have this temptation to idolize personal freedom, you, you live and you sacrifice and you lay down your life for others. You do that regularly. And what happens is that thing that wants to settle on the throne of your heart and siphon off your worship from Yahweh, the one who was and is and is to come, the thing that's trying to threaten you gets unsettled, gets toppled over. Why? Thank God for freedom, but you know what? I'm, going to, I'm so free that I'm going to serve you. I am so free that I'm going to think about what's good for you. I'm going to think about the common good. I am so free that I can give up some of my rights so that you can flourish too. I am so blessed by God that I can be a blessing to other people. When you have the threat come at you to latch on to personal freedom and to make it an idol, you, counter, you, you practice a countervailing practice and you go at that thing with an opposite force. The force sacrifice and love and laying down your life for others. The temptation to glorify self. What do you do with this, this idol? To make ourselves our own little gods and to build our own personal brand that trumps everybody else and to to be the lead story of every front news headline. What do you do? You humble yourself. You repent. You deflect praise that comes at you. You honor other people. You brag on other people. You bring people to the center of the story and you go back here out of the spotlight and you say, look what the Lord is doing over there. Everyone, give it up for this person because they are, look what God, when, when the enemy wants you to come and be the center of the story, run from the spotlight, deflect praise and give your strength to other people and tell me if your life doesn't flourish. Think about the temptation to lust. So, oh, he's going there, he's going there. What else are we gonna do tonight? <laughs> You're here. <laughs> the temptation to lust, to latch on to pleasure and, and, and image and, and, and feeling and, and eros and, and trying to make that the center of our story, letting that get settled on the throne of our heart. What do you do? You fast. You deny your flesh. <laughs> Said it a few months ago, fasting is practicing uh, your no. 
It's teaching your flesh to get in line. It's saying, bow the knee to the name of Jesus. I will not satisfy every desire. I will not satisfy every appetite. I'm going to humble myself. I'm gonna fast what I look at. I'm gonna fast food. I'm going to say, Lord, I want you more than I want anything else. And give me two days of no food in my stomach and I'm on the brink and you know what's going out of me? The demons of lust. And you know what's coming into me? The glory and the life and the purity and the light of Jesus Christ and his majesty and his eyes that blaze like fire begin to light up my eyes that blaze like fire and his holiness gets settled deep down. You want to know how to unsettle those things that want to take up the throne of your heart? You go against them with an equal and opposite force with the kingdom of God. Temptation to idolize money, what do you do? You give until it hurts. I promise to God, God has given given me this opportunity at least once a year for the last 20 years. I'm 40 years old from the time, it actually started when I was 18. I remember the first gift that God asked me to give and it scared me. God's honest truth, it scared me to give it. I was like, what? You know when God just drops a number in your spirit? You're like, that's the devil. I guarantee you, that big old bar, that's the devil. That wasn't God. I think I might be in debt if I give that. 18 years old. For a guy that was 45 years old with a family of three and he had been out of work for six months and 18 years old, I'm, I'm trying to, Build something. I'm trying to get ahead. I, I, I hope to buy a ring in the next three or four years. I don't even know who she is, but I gotta have a ring. <laughs> Drops the number. You know what happens when you write that check? You're free. And you know what happens? Is you unsettle the throne of your heart from those idols of I am in charge of my future and I am the one who will provide for myself. And if it's gonna be, it's gotta be me. And what you do when you write that check is you go, no, it's not. God has been my provider. Sometimes the Lord will just like, I'll make extra money on the side from going and speaking at something and I just know right away. And I'm I'm not ever, I will never give you an amount, but I will teach you how the Lord has taught me and just provoke your imagination. There'll be times where I go speak and the Lord will say, that's not yours. Just as firm as that. Yes, sir. Just show me who it is. And you know what happens? Is you start living in faith. You start living in trust. You start living as if everything's a gift. You start living as if God is truly the good shepherd and he wants to lead me into green pastures more than I want to be led there. But what he doesn't want me to do is to be destroyed by the idol of greed. Friends, what do you do? What do you do? To regularly unsettle, you go right at the heart of that idolatrous temptation with a countervailing practice. A friend of mine has written several really great books. But his first book that he wrote, nobody knew who he was. Nobody knew who he was. 
And, he had, and he'd been practicing the craft, but he hadn't really had that much of an opportunity. And, and just, he just, but he, he knew he had to write. And he knew he was gonna spend the rest of his life writing it. And this was probably 25 years ago. And he writes his first book. And as he's getting ready to send in the transcript, the Lord says to him, this first book is mine. The Lord says this to my friend, this first book is mine. Give it to me. Donate it all to me. Anything that ever comes in, if you ever see a dime from this, this book is mine. And my friend said, okay, Lord, I trust you. That book has sold about five million copies. His first book, nobody knew him. And, and he wrestled with the Lord in this moment before anybody knew him, before he even sent the manuscript off to the publisher, he got down on his knees with that stack of papers in his office. This is before you could email it got the stack of papers in his office and he consecrates this moment and he puts a little anointing oil on the front page of the manuscript and he says, Lord, he makes the sign of the cross. This book is yours. I trust you. Let these words bring life to people. Lord, you just put these words in me and, and I, don't, I can't control the levers. I, I, don't, I don't have a, a platform, but Lord, you've given me these words and they're like a fire shut up in my bones and I put them on the page and you ask me to give you this so he anoints it with oil in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. These words are yours. Five million copies later. He hasn't taken a cent from that. And his subsequent books have done really well and he's gonna be just fine. But I think sometimes the Lord wants to know what's in a person. Will you trust me? Are you your provider or am I your provider? Are you the lead line of this story or am I the one who was and is and is to come? And I promise you, if you'll just trust me, it will be good for you. But if you take a good thing and you try to make it an ultimate thing, it will become a dangerous thing and it will destroy you along the way. Which is why John says, dear children, keep yourselves from idols. Which is why God says, you shall have no other gods before me. John doesn't want us to get duped. So John says to us time and time and time again in this little five chapter letter, it's Jesus, it's Jesus, it's Jesus. The one from the beginning the one who is holy, the one who is true, the one who is the son of God. It is not you, it is Jesus. So keep yourselves from idols and don't let the enemy lead you astray and don't let the enemy allow things to settle on the throne of your heart and take their place there and siphon off your worship. Unsettle that and give your affection, give your worship to Yahweh, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the one who was and is and is to come. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols and if you will do do this, you will be happy. That's as simple as I can say it. If you'll live this way, you will be deeply happy. I'm not saying you'll be rich. I'm saying you'll be happy. I'm not saying people will know about you, but I am saying you will have simplicity of spirit. You will have a quiet mind. You will have a clean soul. You will have those eyes that light up a room when you walk. Why? Because when you worship God, you're clean, you're true. Commandments two through 10 take care of themselves. But if you don't worship God, you'll fall into any and all of the rest of them. Friends, dear children, keep yourselves 
from idols. Can you say amen? Would you stand with me tonight? Before we come through the communion line, our communion servers are gonna come. They're gonna be ready to serve you. The band is coming. But I've given us some time here and I want us to respond in prayer. I want us to all search our hearts. I want us to open ourselves up before the Lord. So would you close your eyes with me? No one's gonna come steal your purse. No one, it's not gonna be weird. I, I, I just need you to focus. I want you to have a face-to-face conversation with God. Think about the different options that the enemy would put in front of us. The idolatrous temptation to be in charge. Can you give that over to God? The idolatrous temptation to fight for your own story. To get the last word. The idolatrous temptation to be right. How's that working out for you? The idolatrous temptation to win. The idolatrous temptation to stick it to your enemy. The idolatrous temptation to lust. Can you give it over to God tonight? Come home. You shall have no other gods before him. And if you want to be truly at peace, if you want to be truly filled with joy, if you want to grow old and grow simple and grow kind and grow tender, the only way to do it is by worshiping God. So would you give those temptations over? Right now, some of you just, you know what you need to repent of. You know what you need to say to the Lord right now. I'm creating that space for you to talk to God. So would you repent? Would you ask him for help? Would you ask him for mercy tonight? Would you ask him for the grace to trust him more? Oh, for grace to trust you more. Jesus, Jesus, how we trust you. Lord, tonight, we're coming back. Lord, tonight, we repent for being on the ticking clock, for Moses is up on the mountain. We gotta make something happen. We repent for our golden calves. We repent for trusting in ourselves to be our own gods, our own providers. It's exhausting, frankly. And we say, Lord, have the place on the throne of our hearts. Would you say that tonight to the Lord? Would you begin to just invite him to be king and to sit on the throne of your heart? Lord, here we are tonight. Your people. We haven't done it right all the time. We've sinned against you. We've sinned against our neighbors. We've been sloppy, we've been impatient, but we're here and we're coming back home tonight. We don't want any other God before us but you. So we pray these things tonight in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, amen. I wanna invite our communion servers to come forward. If you're new with us, what we do here is we come through the room, there's communion servers in every section 
you'll get the communion element. Go back to your seat and hold it there. If you're not able to physically move through the room, tap your neighbor, they'll bring you an extra. Just ask, we're happy to do that. But as we worship, come receive your communion elements, hold it at your seat, and I'll be back in just a minute to receive together. Let's worship the Lord.